I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Monday, which means it's time. Oh, wait a minute. It's Monday, which means it's time for the front three. We can review. The only person here, though, is Dave. So it's the top two, or the front two, or two up top, or the two substitute. Oh, damn. <laughs> it's all right, Lawrence. We're a, we're a potent pair together. A anyway. potent pair. Exactly. Yes. Uh, lots of potent pairs this weekend. Not like the uh, the fruit. But the uh, the real strikers around Europe this weekend. There's lots of goals are flying in all over the place. Let's get straight down to it, Dave. Um, where do you want to start? Would you rather start with Man City, Chelsea, or Manchester United, Everton, Dave? Because those are the well, two sh- best games. Shall we just get rid of the uh, the issue first, the the anger first, and then we can move on to the football discussion? Yeah, sure. Let's move. Let's let's get straight into it then, Dave. Man City one, Chelsea three. <laughs> Um, now, Dave, uh, Man City had the best of this one, uh, and then suddenly Chelsea's counter-attack struck into life. Yeah, absolutely ruthless from Chelsea on the counter-attack. I was very, very impressed again how they sort of reacted in that second half. Diego Costa, I didn't think he had the best first half, but in that second half, he was the focal point of that Manchester City, uh, sorry, the Chelsea attack, and every time that they hit him, things happened. You know, the, the goal he scored was absolutely fantastic. Out of pretty much nothing. Um, and then, you know, his link-up play with Hazard, link-up play with Willian and, and so forth was brilliant. And this Chelsea team is a, and this system is turning into a very well-oiled machine. It looks like they will definitely compete for this Premier League title. It was a big test against Manchester City, but I think Pep Guardiola got it wrong in some respects. He, a few of the thing, his decisions on the pitch were a little bit wrong and his, his starting lineup was a little bit weird playing Leroy Sana and Jesus Navas as wing-backs. It was a bit of a weird one, wasn't it? Um, didn't really work out for them for for whatever reason it was. Why why do you think he did that? I think he he went to match it, obviously, because Chelsea have done so well in this system. So one way that you can deal with, say, you know, a three at the back in any way, whether it's a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3, to sort of negate them or try and get an advantage over them is to go man for man. I think that's what Pep Guardiola did. And he kind of wanted Leroy Sana um, up against Victor Moses. And there was times where he did get behind Victor Moses. There was a brilliant ball from uh, David Silva who switched and then Victor Moses switched off great ball over the top and um, you know Sane was in behind and then City didn't take that chance but that's what Pep wanted to do but the issue with that is when you're playing wing backs 
They need to defend. They need to be able to defend. And unfortunately, that's where Leroy Sane got caught out because his defensive work wasn't really good enough. And Chelsea really sort of dominated on that counter-attack, the space in behind those players. But again, it's this Pep system is a little bit weird. I've spoken about it before, how he played these three... It's like a 3-2-4-1 system in a way, where there's three centre-backs, two defensive midfielders, and then a four of attacking midfielders and then one up top. It's similar to playing like a 4-1-4-1, but instead of having it organised as a 4-1, it's organised as a 3-2. And I really don't understand why it doesn't play a back four and a one. Obviously, he wanted to match them in this game, but it, every time I've seen City play that way, there's always been this issue that they look like there's so much space to break in behind in the channels. And, and so, that's kind of what Chelsea did. But that's sort of... you well, yeah, Obviously, the, the channels have been a problem with them for a while, but do you think... Some people are questioning the quality of player for Man City, Dave. Do you think that partly contributes to it? I don't know. I don't, I don't think it does, no. But again, you go back to the Kevin De Bruyne chance, similar to what we'll talk about later on about Manchester United. They score that goal, it's 2-0. They're comfortable. And it's football is, is so funny how it gets down to these tiny little points of Kevin De Bruyne doesn't hit the bar, puts the ball in the back of net. Someone that he would score nine times out of ten, it's pretty much, you know, it's a completely different game. But he yeah. didn't do that. Chelsea kept themselves in the game and then they started to break really well and counter quite well. It was sort of the moment that woke Chelsea up was the De Bruyne hitting the bar and it's kind of a catalyst for them to push on and, and go on to the win the game. But it's, it's margins, tiny, tiny margins. What about the quality of Chelsea though, Dave? I mean, you know, going forward especially, the shapes that they make are beautiful. Yeah, I think the big thing for Chelsea as well, I think this is the first time that they actually went behind or maybe the second time, that whatever it is, but it's, they haven't been behind that often. And it was big from Conte to make the change. You know, he took Pedro off, a player that is you know, more of a worker, more of, uh, he will get on to the end of chances, but he's not going to create anything. And he brought William on and William was really, really good. Scored a fantastic goal, but was a real driving force and went quite narrow. So the Chelsea system went more from, say, a fourth, um, a 3-4-3 to pretty much a 3-4-2-1 with sort of two number 10s behind Diego Costa. And I think that really helped them on the counter-attack as well as them for them to create chances was that being a little bit more narrow than they had been with Pedro on the pitch. But William could be really important for this title challenge. You know, obviously Chelsea's best player last season hasn't really played this year, has had a bit of, you know, a few personal issues. And he could be the man that can sort of help Diego Costa and Hazard out in terms of carrying them in an attacking sense. Yeah, very good point. Um, I'm, I'm always interested in the rotation of that squad because obviously if Chelsea keep playing at this pace, it is going to be interesting to see what they do. Uh, how much longer they can keep that going, essentially. I think the big thing is whether they... I think these wing-backs are absolutely massive. I'm not sure if they've got any other in terms of their squad, whether they've got players that could come in and replace the likes of Victor Moses and uh, Alonso that are at the same quality as a wing-back. Obviously, we saw what Pep did with Navas and Sane. Can't, those two players are more attackers than defenders and that cut, sort of you know caught them out. So at the moment, Conte's got these perfect players that are doing this, this very, very important role for his system right now. And if they go, potentially that's the issue. Or no, David Costa, Hazard... Is William going to be able to carry the attack and so forth? You know, there's still questions in this Chelsea team. We are very early on, but they are looking very, 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 very good right now. A lot of aggression coming out as well from the likes of Diego Costa, a couple of other players in there. Do you think that's... I, I, I always just find it a little bit weird when we kind of normalise what Diego Costa does in the league because sometimes he's very aggressive and that's great, really, really good. But it is... I always find it a little bit weird to watch. It's a strange one, isn't it, seeing a, a striker be so aggressive? But I think you kind of, in modern football and how Chelsea's system operate with having Eden Hazard as this player that doesn't do the defensive work, Eden, um, sorry, Diego Costa has to do that work for him. So instead of it being Hazard pressuring his fullback or whatever, you know, doing that work a normal left midfielder or left winger would do in terms of covering his fullback and whatever, they kind of don't do that. And because he's 
sits off and he sits on the counter-attack, Diego Costa has to do the work, has to do the pressurising, sometimes covers him, sometimes leaves Hazard through the middle. You know, at the end of the game, Hazard was playing through the middle, I think, when he scored his goal. He was playing as sort of their false nine striker. Um, and I think that's that works for their system. And again, if Costa wasn't there doing the work, they, then they have nine players defending. And then you're getting a bit of an issue. But because of Costa's work rate, you've got ten again. No, sorry, nine again. Do you know a nine by the end of the game? Do you know a nine by the end of the game is Man City uh, as two players were sent off? Oof. Sergio Aguero with a ridiculous tackle uh, didn't deserve to stay on the pitch for that one um, and deserves uh, the ban that that he got there. And then Fernandinho for reacting to a little slap from Cesc Fabregas, which he (laughs) slightly sort of, you know, just, just, oh, there we go. And you're away. And then Fabregas played the victim. Did you see the reaction from Pep Guardiola after the game? Not uh, shaking. There's a, there's a clip of Ashbilla. He doesn't shake Ashbilla Quaita's hand. He doesn't shake Cesc Fabregas' hand. Cesc Fabregas, someone who played at Barcelona with him. And then there's one this morning that's come out of him not shaking his hand with Willian. And apparently he didn't shake the hand of any Chelsea player. Do you think that's a bit unprofessional? Do you think that's you know Guardiola's got a bit of the hump and kind of I don't know. Is is that an issue for you? I, I mean, I find I I, I was a little bit. Um... So obviously we end up sounding a bit like Mark Hughes, so obsessed with handshakes, yeah. um, because Mark Hughes really is obsessed with handshakes. Um, but the, but I also found a little bit weird what John Stone said after the game. He said uh, he was talking about you've got to back your boys, uh, and I understand that in a, in a you know in a fight you have to back your guys, but at the same time you're being dicks. Um, <laughs> and if you really back your guys, surely you say to them you're being a dick. Stop it. Yeah. Instead of he said, you go in there and you back your teammates up. Um, I mean, I know that you need to protect them physically, but at the same time, if you're the ones doing the attacking, maybe you're being a bit of a dick. Yeah, I think uh, that tackle was, was, wasn't great at all, the Aguero tackle. Um, very, very dangerous. That could be a you know, potential knee break, a leg breaker or potentially a ligament damage. But it was a poor reaction from City. And, you know, if I was the manager there, you would be professional, you'd shake everyone's hands and you'd go into the dressing rooms and you'd absolutely bollock your players. He didn't know, and he said that he wouldn't. Behind the scenes, he probably will. Do you think uh, at all, I mean, what I'm more interested in, Dave, is the, if that was another team, do you think, um, do you think that, for instance, Spurs had the meltdown against Chelsea last season. City have now had the meltdown against Chelsea. If that was another team, do you think at all that uh, people would say, oh, it's a meltdown? But because it's Pep Guardiola's Man City, people aren't even saying it. It's an interesting one, yeah. He does get, he does get a lot of protection from the media because he is this new quantity. And I think they will start to... I've said before that they'll start to find out that he is a bit of a, you know, one of those sometimes. I think this is one of the first moments that's shown that he is a bit of... You know, he's got to be a bit better in terms of respect of other players and, and officials. Whatever happens on the pitch, fair enough. You know, get aggressive on the touchline, be angry. But as soon as 90 minutes comes, that's when you've got to be sporting in a way. So when you've got to respect your opponent and so forth. And they kind of started to see that with Pep Guardiola. So I think, yeah, he, he does get a little bit of protection from the media or they just don't, maybe it doesn't sell papers them, you know, hammering Pep Guardiola constantly when there's easier targets like Mourinho allegedly doing cocaine on the touchline. Wait, what? Have you not seen, have you not seen any of that? There's, this, there's a shot of Mourinho, basically. I think he's itching his nose. And like, I think a, a number of the media outlets have picked up and they're saying Mourinho was doing cocaine on the touchline. It was it. Insane, crazy, crazy shit. Why would Mourinho? It just wouldn't make any sense. Like, don't know, Lawrence. I don't know. No one does cocaine so openly <laughs> uh, in the game of football. That would be ridiculous. 
Um, and also considering what original oh, was it Mourinho that originally had to let go of Mutu? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, oh, I think that it was the end of Ranieri. I think it was Mutu. Yeah, it was Mourinho Mutu. I think. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Man City find themselves in a difficult position, and again with people questioning what Pep has got um, and whether he is. I mean, it's clear that he's tactically astute enough. Um, yeah, hundred percent. He's going to find the solution. I think to the problem. Um, I think the squad is a bit weird. Like it's in a way. I don't know what they, they kind of they do lack a, an Edin Zeko in a way. They lack someone to give them something else from the bench as a as a striker. Um, you know when it's not going right with Aguero or when they're chasing a game. Um, you know Inacho is a wonderful player and he's he's got a lot of talent, but is he as good as you'd say Zeko to give a different option? You know um, Inacho's quite like Sergio Aguero in terms of his build, in terms of his playing style. It's a little bit similar, not not massively similar, not like he's not as explosive as Aguero, but it's a similar body body balance and it's a similar type of playing style in terms of they're both more poachers or more goal scorers than Edin Zeko that would be more of a target man that you could hang crosses up to. Maybe just City need a little bit more variation in terms of their attack um, and they'd be absolutely fine. Yeah, well, City in the next couple of games obviously face uh, Celtic next. An important win there would definitely be good for City considering that that would not do anything. Uh, it, w- <laughs> it would keep them It would keep them in, in pace though with Barcelona. Barcelona on top of their Champions League group on 12 points. Uh, also a good thing for Chelsea this season is that they don't have any Champions League football. City next face the champions and they play Watford and then the big game against Arsenal on the 18th of December. What a day oh, be huge. for all those fans out there. Uh, fans of football. Um, very, very quickly. Uh, obviously, with the the sexual abuse um, story which is going on in football at the moment, a lot of people coming out, um, having seen quite a few high-profile uh, players themselves coming out, uh, be that past or present. Um, and uh, obviously, with the scandal which surrounded Chelsea, uh, considering them paying off um, certain players etc for not mentioning it um it, that's something that's probably going to unfold over the coming weeks but it, i mean dave there's, there's not really much more to add in terms of morality basically you know this is this is obviously wrong but the covering it upside um sort of gets into murky waters doesn't it because obviously some people actually don't want it out in public uh, but then others argue that it should be out in public because it protects other people yeah, I think that's a big thing. It's it's the protection of you know future people of having a same a similar sort of terrible incident happen to their lives. You know, it's a massive impact on the all these fellas' lives. It's a big thing. You know, it it seems like it's it's not just in football that it was society that was really strange and odd in the eighties that they they kind of knew that this was happening, but nobody was calling people out. Or... I guess, well, I guess what's worrying about it is that Chelsea then went further to cover it yes. just just a couple of years ago. Which is more worrying, I guess, that they they didn't then approach it. Uh, but since they have released a club statement saying that they will do an internal investigation and will look into it and will um, try to face this problem head on, essentially. Um, so credit to them, but at the same time, took someone to shine yeah. a light in the first place. Um, although maybe that's what it takes. Maybe that's the process that needs to happen, even if we wish it wasn't. Let's move across to title rivals, if that's what you want to call them. Arsenal, they played against West Ham and thrashed them, Dave. Uh, Alexis Sanchez at the centre of pretty much all of it, with Utsil at times showing why he came to Arsenal. Yeah, I think both of those two have been have been really good this season. And 
Sanchez again playing as a striker it's it's beautiful it's like his days at Udinese again when he was uh, you know he carried that attack with uh, Di Natale was his partner in crime there now Mesut is his partner in crime at Arsenal but it's his composure every one of those finishes that he you know every goal that he scored was just fantastic and the, the chip at the end that the step over to to put the goalkeeper on his back and then chip it over was just Absolutely perfect. Mm. It was like I mean, that that video of the little kid, the little kid with his mouth wide open. It's very sweet. He's watching. <laughs> he's clearly the ball boy behind, and he's. You'd imagine he would be upset. Cause obviously, he's a West Ham ball boy, but he just looks so shocked that someone could do that because it's not. It's also a, a step over, which is the wrong way essentially, and then he also hits it with the same foot. It's just so unconventional. Yeah, his, his feet are just so so quick, and he's a he is a wonderful player. And if Arsenal go on to win the Premier League, Sanchez will be the guy that's scoring your the twenty five thirty goals in the Premier League. But he looks like he, he could do that this season. I think it's uh, again it's an evolution of Arsenal and, and credit to Arsene Wenger, someone that gets slated, didn't sign a striker, but he had one in his squad. Something that I sort of potentially floated as an idea last season of playing a front two of Olivia Giroud and Sanchez. And now we're sort of seeing Sanchez on, the, on his own up front. And it, it's good for Arsenal. It's working out in terms of tactically. It, it works a lot from because of the, the thrust they get from midfield, from the likes of um, you know Theo Walcott or Ramsey coming in or Oxlade-Chamberlain, who didn't have the greatest of games, Oxlade-Chamberlain. It's a real weird one with him. I, I'm not a massive fan of him on the left-hand side. I think he has mm. to think a little bit too much. I quite like him as just a winger, tell him to get, get wide and get balls into the box. But he scored a, one, a wonderful goal. But apart from that, his play wasn't great. But if he gets a run in the team, let's you know, let's hope that he can improve um, for England and, and for football fans everywhere. But yeah, Arsenal, they're looking good. And, and Gabriel coming in at right back again, um, having an absolute battle on his hands, um, but doing quite well. And again, this Arsenal squad, um, with the injuries right now, with the, the lack of depth in central midfield, given and the number of players that are out, Santi Cazorla, you know, a real big one for them. They're showing a lot of fight and determination to to get these results when it counts. And again, we mentioned before, November is a troubled month, but at the moment they are showing that they can they can do November this year. Well, they did November, Dave. November is now over. It's over. I don't even know what day it is. Yeah, Dave, it's it's December the 5th as we record. Jesus. What's wrong with you, man? I don't uh, know, Lawrence. They, they did, you're right, though. They did complete November without any losses. Uh, and in fact, three draws. Uh, and I think three wins so three and three and zero uh they play Barcelona next in the champions league away from home uh in a group where arsenal are joint top technically uh with psg though goal difference uh i think is the champions league is calculated on goals scored dave is it goal scored or head to is it head to head oh sorry maybe it is head to head well, yeah. which two, means that arsenal well. therefore lose that one uh against PSG. Anyway, Arsenal still can go through though, but it would be preferable, obviously, uh, if if they went through top of the group, so they would avoid someone who is difficult, le- lemon difficult. Uh, they play Barzu, bottom of the group, and Ludogorets play PSG. Then Arsenal, eh, they've got Man City in a couple of weeks' time. It's going to be a good one. And they've got Everton soon. Uh, we'll talk about Everton in just a second, but let's talk about the one of the other teams in that pack who played on Sunday. They were the first game on Sunday. It was Liverpool away at Bournemouth. Uh, Bournemouth. Dave, wow, what a comeback. Uh, I think I think our account uh, tweeted, Istan Bournemouth. <laughs> was that you, Lauren? No, it wasn't, actually. It was, I think it was Kristen. <laughs> yeah, it was, that, was a, that was a good tweet. And then uh, seconds later, the- slash football copied it and did it themselves. They did what? No. Yeah, Dave. 
I'll tell you what, if you're following slash football, unfollow them right now. <laughs> follow the front three for breaking news. <laughs> uh, disappointing though. Liverpool had uh, a real grip on this game. The first half, Bournemouth uh, were looking like uh, they couldn't really play their way into the game as Liverpool would basically just break down most of their attacks, uh, which pretty much kept the danger away from where Bournemouth wanted it to be. Then in the second half, Bournemouth basically attacked the central defence of Liverpool and it suddenly it all made sense uh, as Lovren, Lucas and Carriers all panicked and allowed four goals for Bournemouth. Hey, so it was a mental game, absolute mental game yeah, it was, um, it? On, on the South Coast. I think with Liverpool... Like attacking wise, they look so good. All of their goals were really, really good goals. You know, a lot of the two, the first two sort of on the counter attack, and then Emre Chan's goal was was fantastic. Well, Emre Chan getting a goal and assist. I think after the first time this season um, in a single game, but it, they they look good going forward. Question is, Lawrence, how do they sort this out defensively? Is it the goalkeeper? Is it the centre backs as you mentioned? Is it the full backs? James Milner not having the greatest of games. Nathaniel Klein doing well on the attacking sense, but again defensively not too great. And then Jordan Henderson picking up a needless booking too early on. Um, as a defensive midfielder, I hate when that happens because again you can't make the same tackles you would do if you didn't have that yellow card. It was what silly, is yeah, you're right. I do think it was a bit of a cocktail of all those things. Uh, I don't think that Lovren and Lucas are the, the preferable centre-back pairing um, obviously it's Lovren and Lucas um, and then Carrius made a silly mistake as well but I also think he's down you know I mean if, if Klopp is going to play this open style of football then Liverpool have to outscore their opponents and most of the time three is going to outscore your opponents um, but I think Bournemouth found the weak spot essentially Milner actually had a reasonable game at, at fullback but the problem was that uh, he gave away the penalty and so that sort of Mars' performance um, Nathaniel Klein I don't really think he was particularly challenged for quite a lot of the time um, and then it was really more that the goals came from whoever the player was who was supposed to be pushing in front of Nathaniel Klein um, rather than Klein himself uh, so you know obviously I think Liverpool will be disappointed but then it, it's so hard to uh, sort of put Liverpool down when Klopp just sort of comes out and he's quite magnanimous in defeat sort of says yeah we were we were part of it um, and you know we'd rather be on the other end of it won't happen every week um, never mind and everyone's sort of like oh okay that's lovely then um, <laughs> cool cheers yeah. cheers Jürgen cheers Jürgen um, and then he just sort of go, he sort of plods off and you're like oh well that, that's Jürgen Klopp um, and it, everything seems fine and everyone's happy and everyone seems fine doesn't seem like such a big problem even though it is quite a big systemic problem I think they also lacked uh, John Matip who was out this week will be back next time um, and as the stat goes in the Liverpool echo at the moment, last time Liverpool lost, they went on a 15-game winning run uh, or lossless streak. Uh, <laughs> lossless streak? It's a lossless streak, Dave. I think I think with Liverpool, they need to work on the defensive shape, maybe. You know, Brussels Dortmund, Absolutely. when they were at their peak, was so good off the ball. And they were so good at just sitting in two banks of four with, uh, you know, an attacking midfielder off whoever it was, Lewandowski, Barrios, whoever. Was partner, though? Um, well, Hummels had a, had a few partners in his time there. Um, Subotic obviously was the one, his major partner when they were really, really good. And again, yeah, that, that's a massive difference. They had two actual top quality centre-backs. Uh, but I think the shape was a lot better in terms of a defensive structure. Liverpool could look in terms of the Barcelona-Real Madrid uh, model in a way, where they, they play in attack with a 4-3-3 and they defend in a 4-4-2 type shape. You know, get the likes of, um, you know, potentially say to Mane to sit at right midfield uh, and then drop someone like Firmino behind uh, Origi and that can be their shape. But I think there's definitely work to be done there because they, they shouldn't be defend. No, they shouldn't be conceding that amount of goals 
um, against Bournemouth, I would say. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, I, th- I think they still see that there's... A, I mean, it's, it's disappointing what's happened with Sacco. It would be good if Liverpool could have another centre-back backup. I think he'll be gone come January. He just isn't getting into the first team. Um, and then... I think they see Matip as the leader of that back line. And Karius definitely needs to uh, improve if he is to stake a claim. Apparently in Liverpool, Matip and uh, Mignolet was trending post-game. Uh, and you know that when you're missing Simon Mignolet after some of the uh, performances he gave last season, then you still do have a bit of an issue. Uh, another person or another uh, set of players are in the chasing pack at Tottenham. Dave, they thrashed Swansea 5-0, dejected Swansea, and Bob Bradley was very disappointed. But Pochettino left uh, very happy with the performance and ultimately Spurs did the job. Yeah, I think, again, the the Chelsea game, they were fantastic in that first half. and They kind of showed the the old Spurs, uh, the Spurs of last season, should I say, that were was so good and so dominant and really pushed for the Premier League title. I think one of the big things is that, bang, they switch, they've switched back to the 4-2-3-1. I thought the, the 4-3-3 would be an evolution of this Spurs team. It's not quite worked out. So um, Pochettino's gone gone back to what worked so well last season. And we're sort of seeing, I think Deli Alli is one of the big players that's going to um, see, see, the, see him the best of himself again um, from playing this sort of attacking midfield role. Again, he had five shots, um, created three chances, didn't get an assist uh, or, or score a goal, but was pivotal in how they broke and was pivotal in terms of being direct in that final third and taking players on and so forth. So, it was, again, it was it was an interesting one for Spurs to go back to what they knew last season. Eriksen, Harry Kane, pivotal, especially Son as well, sort of getting the best out of his attacking players again. Yeah, very good point. Um, there isn't really much more to say there. I feel a, bit, a little bit sorry for Bob Bradley. We've been looking through the run of games that he's had uh, before, obviously, uh, this one. And he has played some difficult teams, Dave. I mean, you know, they, they're drawn with Everton. They lost to Manchester United. Obviously lost to Arsenal as well. They've obviously lost to Spurs. Those are four sides that are in the hump for the top four. Um, and then their other results are either a, a draws or a loss against Stoke, who are actually in reasonably good form. Um, I feel like it's a little bit harsh to judge him on this run of games. I know that we've had him on the podcast and blah, 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 and people say, you know, you guys are defending him because he did the interview, etc. But the point is that actually it's it's really the next few games where he's playing people around uh, Swansea where we can probably judge the manager. I feel like people are jumping on him just because he's an American. I think, I think it's a little bit too early, definitely, to judge Bob Bradley's uh, impact on this side and so forth. You know, you've got to take some time for him to... He's had the international break, which is obviously a big period for him to, to actually work with the players, but... You know, judging him properly after a month, he's had some pretty, like you mentioned, the Palace result is a very, very good result. Drawing with Everton is a decent result. And yeah, I think it's now when they're playing the teams around them, when they really, you know, the, the six-pointers, you know, the cliche, when they really need to scrap for points and they need to get the wins to pull themselves out of the, you know, out of the drop zone, away from the drop zone, it is now. So we will see over the coming weeks. But, you know, if it, it doesn't come off, we need to criticise our pal Bob, unfortunately. No, well, obviously, yeah. And I think that but that has to come at the right time. I feel like yes. uh, that he's been there for two months now. Uh, obviously, they still sit uh, at the bottom of the table. Um, but it's not like they've had an easy run of games. And also, I I can just tell, like, there was, um, I think it was analysis on BT Sport. And it was Ian Wright. And normally, I'm quite a big fan of Ian Wright. I think he's, I've worked with him before. I think he's, you know, a nice guy. 
but I didn't think his analysis was very good of Bob Bradley. He basically said, oh, you couldn't take much from the uh, Swansea game last week against uh, against Crystal Palace because, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. Both sides were terrible. And I just feel a little bit like, and he sort of says, well, you know, he's an American. And isn't really, uh, they don't really get the culture over here, etc." And it's quite clear when you talk to Bob that he does get the culture and he does understand what he has to do. Um, and it, I also find it unusual just that someone would say something like, well, you know, you can't really take anything from that result. I think if that was a, a Mark Hughes or a, um, I don't know, a, an, another manager of, you know, a, a sort of British uh, manager of that sort of level, someone would say oh, it's a gritty performance uh, as, as part of a, a, a gritty English performance. You know, if that was a, a Nigel Pearson or someone like that, um, people say, yeah, it was, a, it was an English performance, you know, one where they all dug in. But because it's Bob Bradley, people seem to judge him as an American. Uh, unfair in many ways. Mm. Uh, Dave, we're going down all the important games. Crystal Palace, of course. If it was an Alan Pardew performance, people would have said, uh, what a performance. Uh, it, I almost feel like Alan Pardew uh, got away with something there. Because people yeah, sort of say yeah. to him, like, you know, oh, you know, you, you narrowly lost out there, Alan. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the game was really opened up by Fraser Forster's, uh, you know, poor play on the ball, unfortunately. Such hard you luck. Yeah, it kind of like fell into it. But then again, they won the game. They scored another two goals. So it did start the start at the rock. But Palace, again, getting the results when need be. You know, Pardew keeping his job. I just want Pardew to get sacked so big old Sam Allardyce can come back into the league. That's what I'm waiting for. I don't care about all these stories. I just want big Sam back in the Premier League with Christian Benteke as a striker. Imagine that. It's going to be beautiful. Do you genuinely think that he will be back soon? Dave? I honestly, I definitely think he'll be back. 100%. Obviously, <laughs> the bungs and this and that. He's done some wrong things in his time. But unfortunately, he's got a really good record of keeping teams up. So it would be one of those teams that sacks their manager, they'll turn to Big Sam. Ben Benteke seemingly reinvigorated at Palace, Dave. I think they're playing to his strengths there. You know, they're playing a lot of long passes to him. Uh, they are playing as the counter-attacking team. And I thought that is what Benteke is good at in a way, uh, being that target, being able to be the focal point and bring bring teammates in and then get himself into the penalty area. It's quite simple what you do with Benteke. Um Again, a little bit, probably a little bit too simple for the likes of Liverpool. You know, the signing of Benteke was a good option, uh, but Liverpool are a little bit more of a, a fluid side of the ball at the feet. But with Crystal Palace, with Aston Villa, or you know, a more direct team, Benteke is a, is a very, very good striker in that respect. And it, you, you will get the best out of him if you do go long to him and you do get him in the play. And I think that's exactly what Palace are doing and that they are reaping the rewards of playing with Benteke and playing at him as the main man. Stoke 2, uh, Burnley 0. Uh, Monisa with a great goal, Dave. Um, oh. And John Walters with what can claim to be a great goal, but I don't know if it was deliberate. He sort of <laughs> semi slash spun slash... I, I didn't know what happened, but it was good. Johnny Walters definitely meant that. He's a he's likely to mess with Jonathan Walters. Is Jonathan Walters not one of those players is. who does things yeah. and then it comes off and he kind of goes, yeah, I meant that. Yeah, of course, of course, man. That boys, it was a good goal, um, improvised finish. Uh, but yeah, I think the money goal was was quality, and I think this is the the changing changing side of Stoke City uh, again, going from this poolist side to to being a little bit more evolved. You'd say potentially they started with uh, what four forwards on the pitch: Shakiri and Altovich, uh, Diouf and Walter. So it was quite ballsy from um, 
Hughes, but it, it came off and they, they did beat this Burnley side that, you know, you do expect them to go down. I think that the tracking of Muniata for the goal, I think it's, I think it's Jeff Hendrick just switches off. So I think the, cent- the Burnley centre midfield has pressed quite aggressively in the, the Stoke half. And then Hendrick's at left midfield and you're thinking, you've got to come over, you've got to move over, move over to centre midfield. Muniata just like waltzes through, receives the pass back and puts the ball back there. It's, again, Sean Dyche is going to be a little bit annoyed about that, I think. Muniesa. It sounds like a sounds like a Pokemon. Um, Chris Brunt, Johnny Evans, and uh, late on Matt Phillips scored as West Brom uh, took a Watford side out, who still sit in a pretty respectable eleventh position. This one was actually a battle for mid table, Dave. Uh, whoever mm. won this one was going to go higher. <laughs> it was a big six pointer, mid table six pointer, right? Well, I think both these sides will stay up this season, right? Uh, Watford have been in a bit pretty bad run of form um, in, in recent weeks but West Brom have started to, to look a lot better I think they're playing they're playing teams around them at the moment and that's why in the last four games they've picked up three wins and a draw you know the likes of Leicester City um, <laughs> saying around was crazy uh, Burnley um, Hull and of course Watford but again they found themselves a little bit of structure again um, you know the likes of uh, McCauley in recent weeks has been brilliant next to Johnny Evans looks like a very good de- good defensive pairing Darren Fletcher in midfield again is awesome but I think that three behind Rondon starting to get a little bit of rewards Chris Brunt um, and Matt Phillips who's been very very good in recent weeks a good signing Matt Phillips actually I, I did think in the summer you know whoever picked him up would have a, a tricky winger and if they play a certain way and get him the ball enough they've got a player there so yeah they're West Brom, just expect them to, to, to stay in the league again. It's totally Pulis, isn't it? So the, the 40 points is what you, what you get. And this little run of four. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we'll get him that, those types of, you know, those, those points. Dave, if I'm completely honest, I've tried to avoid it for so long. I've tried to put it off. Yes. Um, we have to talk about Everton 1, Manchester United. Oh. And, and we're finished. Let's go home now. All right. Um, but before we go home, can we talk about Everton 1, Manchester United 1? Yes, I think I'm finally over it. I was oh. a little bit annoyed yesterday, I'm going to be honest. Why? A little bit angry. I was so angry that I tweeted a Barrow Anfellini start with a picture of Antonio Valencia. And did I someone tweet, like, kill yourself, did they? Yeah, the anger was just seeping through me and I just couldn't even think straight. And I've tweeted a picture of poor old Tony V against West Ham. Jesus. I, Right, Dave. Okay, that's that's fine. 
Um, no, let, let's let's go back to actually the moment. Obviously, the Fellaini challenge on um, Gay in the box again. Yes, he should stay on his feet. Yes, he shouldn't be diving in there. But there's a lot more issues there in terms of a collective for Manchester United. There's issues that they they can't see games out. They're not mentally strong enough. They're not. They're the concentration goes. And again, or not again, I'm going to have to highlight Paul Pogba as, as being the issue for that goal. What? Uh, Maron Flanier makes the challenge, he goes over. But you go back and you watch that goal. A guy is standing next to Paul Pogba. Guy is Pogba's man. They've had a great battle through the game. It's, it's, I think Guy put something like eight tackles on Paul Pogba or seven, six tackles on him and he won like four of them. They, they both had a really good battle. It was a great sort of new age midfield battle, two very physical and athletical players going up against each other. Athletical. But it, it was his man. For the, for the 90 minutes, it was his man. You go back to the goal, right? Edge of the D, Paul Pogba is, sitting, is standing next to Guy. He doesn't track him. He lets him go. He lets him go into the penalty area. He lets him waltz in there. Yes, the space between the right centre-back and the right back should be a little bit shorter. Um, you know, Potentially, they should have rotated the defence. Jones should have pushed out a little bit. Um, Rojo should have picked up Lukaku and then Enna Valencia with Darmian and so forth and Rashford could have made the you know dropped into left back position and whatever but Pogba's man make, it runs off him unfortunately doesn't track him and then Fellaini's drawn out there makes a stupid decision and brings him down but that doesn't happen if Paul Pogba sticks with his man then you've got two defenders there and that was the big thing that's what was so frustrating was a team that's defending a one goal lead late on in the game is, and then the opposition is getting a 1v1 in the penalty area. That is just criminal. Absolutely criminal. And again, the players have sort of let Mourinho down, I would say here. Again, they've not, they're not strong enough mentally and they need to get over that bridge if they want to do anything in the Premier League this season. Unfortunately, it's looking like cup runs. Europa League, League Cup, FA Cup is going to be how United are going to get silverware this year because the Premier League is completely gone. Dave, he looked very dejected post-game. Mm. Pogba? No, Mourinho. Phil Jones. <laughs> yeah, I think he's. I think he's frustrated because he can see what he's trying. You go up one. You're winning one nil away at Everton. Last few, last ten minutes of the game, you're looking to counter attack. Yes, potentially you should have put Rashford up top. Potentially should have kept Anthony Martial on the left hand side. He was having a very good game. But as well, in terms of Rashford up top, you're giving United a, a bit more on the counter attack and so forth. You know, Zlatan isn't quick. Zlatan isn't a player that's going to be great on the counter attack. But if you put Rashford up there, then you've got another option. You've got another weapon. You know, Everton centre-back's got to think a little bit more. And again, potentially that could have been a mistake. But structurally, they looked, they looked good. But it was always nervy. I, always, I felt so nervous yesterday. It was like the Champions League final. I was, I was in bits. I was in like, I've got to go and have a, get, a, get a beer out of the fridge because I'm so stressed right now. But it's sort of like these players aren't doing what they should be doing. Yeah, that's part of the problem is they're not doing... They don't look like they're doing... Yeah... They don't look like they're doing what they should be. Uh, and at the same time, though, Zlatan is doing what he should be, Dave. Speaking to MU TV, Ibrahimovic said, <laughs> it was a physical game. They played hard. I heard one of the commentators say, I kicked someone in the head on purpose, but it was a 50-50 duel and he pulled me down. Trust me, if I want to kick someone in the head, I know how to kick someone in the head and make him <laughs> fall asleep. That is the only thing I have to say. So that wasn't the only good quote of the game. Leon Osman on Maron Fellaini. He's always been a bit. He's always been clumsy like that. We used to keep him as far away from our box as possible. So then, Dave, why would you not bring on <laughs> Eric Bay or someone else who was on the on the bench? Well, I think Eric Bay again. He's just come back from injury. I don't know why he was on the bench. He probably, you know, you should give him a few minutes in the reserves or so forth. That might not have been a good option. Um, 
But like, like Marlon Flaney just has know. been good at defensive midfield. This is the thing. Like, he hasn't been poor this season at defensive midfield. What's what's going to be frustrating is everyone now is going to be, oh, Marlon Flaney's been rubbish this year. No, he hasn't. This is the first mistake he's made in X amount of minutes of, of football. Yes, it was a massive mistake. Yes, it cost United three points. Potentially, uh, you know, looking at someone two like... Two points, Dave. Two points. Maybe looking at someone like Daily Blind. What about if Mourinho goes to a back five, throws Daily Blind at centre-back, or even Daily Blind at defensive midfield? Adding just another body in there that potentially would be a little bit better than Marron Flaney in that situation. Could have worked. Mourinho so called Everton direct. Say that again, sorry? Mourinho called Everton direct. They were good. Everton were really good. Everton, what I really liked about Everton was how they harried and pressed Paul Pogba and, and Herrera. And Herrera and Paul Pogba in the first half for me were absolutely awful. They just couldn't get a, they couldn't get a grip on the game. They were getting they were getting absolutely bullied by Gareth Barry and uh, Guy. And you look at the the pass completion of those two in the first half, which is something that four central midfielders, you know, let's talk the classico. What Modric got ninety three percent pass completion. That's a game of the highest quality in the first half. Paul Pogba and Herrera between them seventy seven percent of their passes were completed. That is rubbish. That is absolutely rubbish. And unfortunately, Everton pressed United. United didn't have a, a thought in their head of how to get around the press or how to avoid this. You know, rotate your midfield quickly. Simple as that. Drop to a two with one ahead. Then if Everton press you deep in midfield, you've got a guy in behind them. Just, it's it's frustrating. It seems like some of these players aren't thinking. And Ander Herrera and Paul Pogba were both awful in the first half. And again, Pogba for the goal. The goal, you know, I thought he was better in an attacking sense in the second half. But massively switched off. Dave, so, that's your front door. That's my front door. Shall I go and see who that is? Yeah. Right, I'll come live, back. No, live on the podcast. Take us, Dave. Okay, we're going downstairs. Go downstairs, open the door. What do you reckon it is? I hope it's a parcel. Dave, open the door in the same way that Marion Fellaini opened up the game for Everton. <laughs> Back off, all right, mate. Uh, while, while we're on that one... Uh, all right, mate, how's it going? I'm, I'm fine, thanks. Uh, I'm sorry, buddy. I've got a person for Maxime. Yeah, do you want to just leave it? Yeah. Excellent, mate. You and me? Uh, Dave. Thanks, bye. No worries, buddy. Stop on, Dave. Follow me on Twitter. Um, anyway, Dave... Uh, back at it. The good thing is Mkhitaryan is at least opening up the game for Manchester United and giving Pogba and Ibrahimovic, who's getting a lot of difficult balls out from the back, uh, options on the counter. Yeah, I think another top one from Mkhitaryan. Again, going forward, dangerous passing. And it looked like he's starting to finally get into this United rhythm and get into the United flow. I think defensively, though, he was brilliant. Um, you know, three interceptions, two clearances, made three tackles, winning 67% of those. But the really interesting one, he blocked five passes in the game, which is incredible. That's quite a high number for passes blocked. That's like, imagine it's an interception at point. That's quite good in terms of a defensive work rate. And he put this form and this work, then he's going to be awesome for United. But just needs a little bit more composure. And the, the one thing with McTierian that kind of annoyed me was when United were breaking, it was a three on three. Instead of playing the pass, he cut inside and went for the shot. A little bit frustrating. Just needs to use his brain a little bit more in those situations. But apart from that, it was a cracking performance again from McTyrian. Let's it was to... unlucky to be on the, the drawing team. Yes, unf- yes unlucky. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's go to where McTyrian once came from. Uh, Dortmund in Bundesliga. Dave, der Bundesliga, ja? Yeah, the Bundesliga, yeah. The Bundesliga this season. Yeah, indeed, that's looking, indeed. Looking good. Yeah, uh, Mark for one. I love Marco. Marco Royce is probably my favourite player 
in world football. Ooh. And he's been he's been injured for a while, and, and he, I think he's finally back to the level that he was last uh, last season, maybe the season before. He's been injured for so long. Not see him playing football, but it was fantastic against Borussia Mönchengladbach. A game that the first twelve minutes of the game, the score, you know, two goals had already gone in, but he was just in a, in a creative sense, absolutely fantastic hat trick assist for the first time this season. And I imagine him to potentially get a few more of those in this fast attacking Dortmund team. Nuri Sahin as well, um, starting the first game in the Bundesliga for a while and, yeah. and looked looked good and looked assured. And again, Nuri Sahin, when you get him fit, when you get him firing is one of the top midfielders in world football. But Marco Royce, Sahin, Abemiang scoring again, Dembele again. I don't understand why this Dortmund team has struggled so much in the in the Bundesliga this season. They just seem to have had a really poor start and you know lost games that they should be winning. And then they'd be up there with Leipzig. And unfortunately now Leipzig are pulling away in a way. You know, three points clear of Bayern Munich. Um, again, the game on the 21st of December is going to be massive. Bayern Munich versus Leipzig. Huge. What a game that's going to be, Dave. Um, of course, uh, for a little while, Bayern Munich went top. Uh, Bayern Munich with uh, two goals from Robert Lewandowski, winning away to Mainz. And then, of course, Leipzig winning 2-1 against Schalke, Dave. Did you catch any of that game? Again, another a good performance away, sorry, at home to Schalke. Timo Werner scoring again, now scored eight goals in the Bundesliga this season. That's more than any player under 21 in Europe's five leagues. Wow. Uh, Timo Werner, eh? Mm. What's going on there? I think he's, uh, he just fits the system. The system's really interesting. Again, um, one of those sort of like a fast counter-attacking system, very compact in midfield, presses very well. But what they sort of do, the two forwards, um, whether it is uh, Youssef um, or Davy Selka, uh, with Timo Werner, they sort of split and they do run the channels very well. So it allows space for Feuchberg to come into the middle and start to dictate in there. But Werner's just been in really good form this season and seems to have a really good relationship with Feuchberg in terms of where he's moving, picking him out and so forth. But a very hard worker. And it's finally sort of, you know, getting the knack of scoring goals after having a pretty poor record at Stuttgart for finding the back of the net. I think he's really coming of age in the Bundesliga. Yeah, good point. Dave, you've been watching Serie A for most of the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I watched so much. I don't know why. I just went on one of those, like, Serie A binges. <laughs> which, what did you binge on? Because I watched a little bit of the Juventus game, which was quite, it almost seemed like it uh, been decided before who was going to win this one. Um, uh, Juventus 3, Atalanta 1. Yeah, Atalanta, one of the surprise packages of the of Serie A this season. A very young side, a lot of players coming from the uh, you know Italian under twenty ones, and they've been playing some really good football. And their fans have been loving it. There's some great footage of them last season, uh, last season, last week. Sorry, celebrating them coming back on the bus. But Juve, a very professional performance after getting beat by Genoa the week before, and they were. I watched that game as well. And they were absolutely rubbish. They just didn't. It didn't look like they turned up. Didn't look like they were up for it. And uh, Diego Simeone's son obviously scoring a, a brace in that game. But against Atalanta, they were superior. They went back to uh, the four-four-two diamond. Uh, Pjanic playing as as the the, the number ten in, in that system. But he was everywhere. He was you know picking the ball up deep, uh, spraying the passes out. Got two assists in the game. Two very good set pieces. So I think this Juve team they're starting to find their rhythm again. Um, with you know the defensive defensively they're they're missing um, they're missing. Uh, they're missing both Chiellini and Benucci. Sorry, I was forgetting. I just need to remember which one they're missing. Uh, but Rogani stepped in there and he started to look really good. Scored a very good header. Um, and I think credit to Mario Mandzukic as well in this game. Mario Mandzukic is a player that frustrates me so much because I know when Mario Mandzukic is firing, when he's being aggressive, when he's up for a game, he causes people a lot of trouble. 
in terms of his, uh, his his numbers versus Atalanta, it was really interesting. Scored a goal, but in a defensive sense, made two clearances, nine tackles, and he won 78% of those tackles and won 100% of his aerial duels. It's mm. so like a defensive forward that works so hard. And the amount of ball that he turned over for um, Juventus to counter-attack was incredible. And his relationship with Higuain is developing. And it will get a bit better, but with Dybala back, I expect Dybala to be back on the side because he's the sort of main man in terms of goal, in terms of creative sense as, as a striker. But it was a good performance from Mandzukic and Juventus. Uh, Lazio lost 2-0 at home to Roma in uh, Il Rondarby. It's the I think it's the uh, Derby del Capital or something like that. Yep, Derby of the Capital, as they yeah. say in uh, <laughs> Italy. Uh, what, what What happened? Uh, again, um, a very high octane game at the start. The four three three versus the three five two of uh, for Roma and Lazio played better in the first half for me. They they uh, outfought them. Um, Roma made a few changes tactically. Nangaland uh, was pressing well throughout the whole game, but in the second half it was more of a team press. And they went on to win the game. Nangaland scoring a, a, a wonderful goal. Strootman just capitalising on an error. So it was a good performance for Roma and, and Spalletti's side. Of course, Milan also won uh, 2-1 against uh, Crotone, Dave. Again, a, a very good result for Milan in terms of uh, the ability to come back. Obviously, they went down a goal. The defending was pretty poor on the, the Crotone goal for Milan. A big space opened up for their striker and they capitalised on that. But Milan showed real fight, um, came back and then Lapadula really started to turn it on. Uh, actually won a penalty, um, got fouled in penalty area and he wanted to take the penalty. It was going to be his first goal at the San Siro um, and Niang took the penalty off him, missed the penalty. Obviously, crazy stuff, but then Milan showed a lot of fight, and Lapadula scoring a brilliant goal from around the penalty spot, putting the ball into the back of the net um, late in the game, giving the three points to Le Rossoneri. Dave, whoever is WhatsApping you, tell them to stop. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Napoli 3, uh, Inter 0. Uh-oh. Interos. Uh oh, spaghettios! What happened? Yeah, Steph- Stefan Pioli. Uh, the, they were brilliant against Fiorentina. They played well against Milan uh, in spells, but they struggled against Napoli. Napoli again, a little bit hot and cold this season without, um, you know, without the the main man in Gonzalo Aguayin. Milik came in and was absolutely exceptional at the start of the season. Went out injured, uh, but they've still got quality there. You know, they like like Kayon had a very good game. Hamzik was controlling it from midfield, so they've got that. They've got that sort of next level of quality to into. You'd say Icardi's up there with the likes of Hamzik, but Icardi not really stamping his authority on the game. But a very good result for Sari, uh, getting one over Pioli. Pioli. Anyway, let's go across to France. Not literally, though. That would actually be really nice. Monaco 5, Bastia 0. Uh, Bordeaux beaten by Lille. But the big result of the weekend, Dave. Montpellier 3, PSG 0. Now, during the week... Uh, PSG beat Angers uh, 2-0 and Edison Cavani was booked for wearing um, a t-shirt in support of uh, Shepagansi. Shep- that I think that's how I'm saying it. I think it's hard to say it in a Brazilian accent. That's Shepagansi. Shep- Shapo. Um, and, you know, and, and that seems slightly disrespectful. It was also, he also scored his 100th goal for PSG. It's just nice to see um, everyone pulling together in football uh, for for this uh, for this tragedy, isn't it, Dave? There's minute silences, uh, but not only that, uh, players with a real emotional connect- connection uh, to back home and just South America in general 
are all showing their support, which is which is actually a really lovely image. Yeah, it's, it's been there's been some really nice tributes. Um, it's obviously the terrible, terrible disaster over in Brazil. Um, I quite like the Atletico Madrid one. Um, obviously, Kleber Santa was a, was a former player of Atletico Madrid. Uh, they, I think, with the number that he wore at Atletico. I'm just trying to find out which one that was. Uh, they basically around the stadium that number that entrance. They, you know, nice little memorial thing. Great. Uh, but it was good. It was a good, good display from from those lads. And uh, I, yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. And again, sad, very, very sad news and a sad, sad day for football. Today, I think they've been confirmed as champions. Um, from the Sud American Championship, I think. Correct. I saw today, which is a, it's a nice touch. Um, yep. Which is good. D- uh, Dave was messaging you. Tell them stop messaging. If they can't get through to you on WhatsApp, they can't I'm get through to you like on. Turn it off. I don't. It's, it's, it's like the messages that I can't kill it. Die. You can. You have to. Um, you have to put it in. Uh, Do not disturb, Dave. It's not hard. There you, there you go. I think I think we're all right now, Lawrence. Apologies, listeners. Apologies, the world. I am sorry. There you go. Uh, apologies, the world. Uh, over in A-League. Yes, A-League. Melbourne City drew one all against Brisbane Raw. Such an emotional uh, game and uh, a great display from the goalkeeper who was booked um, for excessive celebrations in front of the Raw bench when uh, <laughs> Melbourne scored. Uh, it, it was interesting, uh, but, but sadly, neither side uh, could get a win in the end. Uh, the Perth Perth Glory also doing well this weekend. Uh, called his men, uh, the, the Kenny Lowe called his men courageous uh, when when they got victory. Courageous, Dave. Yeah, well, very courageous from the lad. From Sometimes you've got to give it, though, haven't you? Sometimes you've got to do a bit of executive celebration, get in their heads, stand sure. in front of there, give them the biggie. Yeah, take that, lads. Bit of Two different games, uh, two different opinions. Uh, let's go to Spain, all the way from Australia. What a long flight. What a long flight. Uh, let's first of all go to the other side in the league. Uh, Atletico Madrid drew 0-0 against Espanyol. Uh, Granada won against Sevilla. And then top of the table, uh, what we originally thought was going to be a game which would take Barcelona closer to Real Madrid, actually ended up, Dave, uh, in what felt like a loss for Barcelona. Uh, as they they didn't manage to uh, peg back Real Madrid by any more points than they they already had, it ended one all, and that's our game of the week. That is game of the week and a fitting game of the week. But again, yeah, I agree with that. Some no, not the assumption. I agree with what you're saying with Barcelona. It was more two points dropped, uh, a little bit like what Manchester United have been doing recently. But they really should have sort of seen the game out and defensively set pieces both teams weren't great it's quite an interesting game in terms of the, the overall quality both players both teams sorry lacking a key controller you know Andres Iniesta at Barcelona and you'd say Tony Cruz at Real Madrid and it kind of showed that in the game Sergio Busquets had had a decent performance from defensive midfield was finding Lionel Messi well in between the lines but overall both teams failed to create from those sort of central areas uh, outside the, the opponent's box you know, the number 10 slots or, you know, place like that where in a 4-3-3 you'd expect one of the central midfielders to step up and, and push into that zone. But it was uh, it was some decent performances. Luka Modric, I thought, was absolutely exceptional in the first half. Read the play really well, broke it up, sort of killed Barcelona's attack, which is quite interesting Consider the, you know, the, the lack of Casemiro in there who, who did come off the bench and made that really key block on the line at the end. Um, you know, he'd usually be doing the destroying job, but Modric did it quite well. 
and as well was good on the ball. So it was an interesting game, but a game that lacked a little bit of uh, that central midfield quality. True, it did, it did lack central midfield quality. Iniesta missed for a majority of that match, Dave? Sorry, mate, I was just choking. <laughs> Do you want to ask that question again? Iniesta missed for a majority of that match? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, obviously, just come back from knee injury, so coming on, his impact was uh, as, as good as it has been. Again, I've been watching a lot of Barcelona from the last few seasons. And- Dave, uncover your mic. Oops. There you go. Sorry, guys. Again, I apologise to the world. It's all about this... Hev- you know what, Dave? The modern age, it's all about headphones. It is all about headphones. Yeah. Again, so just going a bit of a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> we were out on Friday, weren't we, Lawrence? Having a few a few tins. We've few always beers had... We've always had we're, yeah, you were out, Dave. You ran a lovely night. I had a great night out. I got the last tube home. I got home with my coat on. And from that moment, I don't know where it is. So I definitely had my coat on when I left the place. I had my coat on when I was on the tube. I had my coat on walking back. But I can't find my coat. So if anyone knows where my coat is, can you please tweet me with the hashtag, where is Dave's coat? Here it is type thing. You know what I mean? Good. Dave, Thanks, good. Yeah. So my headphones are in there, which would improve the quality of the podcast. Hashtag Dave undresses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, always good to see you, Dave. Um, anyway, back to the game of the week. Uh, Iniesta. Yes. Big, big fella for Barcelona. And I think he's, him being out injured, Barcelona have massively struggled. The game I went to uh, Celtic, Barcelona struggled in that sort of central zone. So they were going quite direct to the likes of Messi, Neymar. Um, and it was a little bit easier for, for teams to, to defend against in a way when you, you know, the, the threat from central midfield isn't quite there. Andre Gomez has come in from Valencia. At Valencia, he was more of a combative player. At the Euros, he was more creative and he looked a little bit more confident in terms of he could take the game but he looks at like I kind of I don't know it feels like he expects the players around him to do the creating and he's just keeping things simple and he's sort of drifting through games and he's not ta- you know he's not playing those forward passes his pass map against Real Madrid was a bit silly in terms of there weren't many passes into those dangerous areas and that's something that Andres Iniesta will bring when he comes back you know obviously when he returns to full fitness and comes back into the side but I really feel that Andre Gomez and Rakitic as well, in terms of a ball-playing sense, need to, they should have stepped up in this spell um, to help Barcelona stay competitive in La Liga. And unfortunately now it's probably La Liga may be gone. Six points is a big, big, big uh, gap in the league. Considering gap, yeah. The weakness of uh, you know, other teams in there. No offence to the league, but Barcelona, Atletico and Real, the quality is massively unsevere this season. The quality is a lot higher than the rest of the league, so it will be hard to pull that back. I think Barcelona will finish closer. I think they'll finish closer, but I don't think... Yes. Yeah. Uh, It'll be closer than six points come the end of the season, but obviously the one-all draw felt like a loss in many ways to Barcelona. Um, uh, We didn't really mention Spurs' Champions League uh, because Spurs are, of course, out of their Champions League group at this point. Um, And then... Leicester Day, though, uh, we need to talk a little bit about Leicester. I uh, just want to finish on them this week because, well, first of all, we missed them out of the Premier League review. But secondly, um, also, Dave, they they could go through in their group. Wait a minute. No. Top? <laughs> they've, they've managed to do what Arsenal have failed to do in, what, the last 12,000 seasons? Dave, how is it possible that they can lose 2-1 to Sunderland and be top of their group. I think you could look at potentially some of the players being focused on that Champions League, being focused on uh, other things. I think they... Maybe being in the shop window? 
Yeah, to be honest, that could be a big thing there. I think they they will suit the Champions League because, again, they're an unknown quantity in the Champions League. They're not an unknown quantity in the Premier League anymore. People have taken taken notice, um, obviously, with the prem, the title win and, and so forth. The likes of Jamie Vardy, just a bit ineffective. When you play Jamie Vardy how you should play Jamie Vardy, standing off him and not diving in and not giving him space to run in behind, he's a little bit ineffective as, as a player. Same with Mares. Mares is a counter-attacking winger. Brilliant in, when he's counter-attacking in the full flow. But if a team sits deep against him, he sort of struggles to create chances. He struggles to get shots on goal and so forth. But in the Champions League, they've they've, they've broken quite well. Seems like they've, that intensity is there. I think that's a big thing that they're missing at the moment is the intensity in the Premier League. Last season, they were so, so good at pressing and, and taking the game to their opponents. And this season, they look a little bit flat. Dave, would it be stupid? And someone said this to me the other day. I just thought it was a bit ridiculous. Teams don't know what Leicester are going to do in the Champions League. That's just not true, is it? It's not that teams don't know what Leicester are going to do. I don't think it's that. No, I think it's, it's that they won their group is quite weak in the Champions League. Um, Dave, that's Porto the thing. Their Porto song. aren't the best in years. You know, they're third in the, the title race in Portugal. You've got Copenhagen in there and Bruges. Again, true. you know, we do compare those sides to the Premier League sides. And yeah, you'd expect these teams that I just mentioned to beat Premier League sides... But it's, I think it's, it's the intensity. Leicester seem to bring themselves up for the Champions League. Obviously, it's obvious, right? You know, the first time Leicester City have ever been in the Champions League, the first time and maybe the only time some of these players will play in the Champions League. So their level is going to get higher and they're going to be focused on that. And I think that's a big thing. It's mentally they haven't coped with playing in two competitions. Yeah, but you'll be two playing in the Championship next season. <laughs> I don't think they'll get relegated. I think that they'll, they will find a way again to win. Um, the signings again... Are they right? Have they made the right guys in there? They lost um, Kante. Did they find a, a replacement? Did they find? They were a few never going to be able to find a like for like replacement. They were not a like, like for like, but maybe like something else to evolve the side. And that's something that I've constantly been talking about this season: is Leicester City haven't evolved. And when you're champions, you need to evolve. Unfortunately, because teams work you out. They kind of. I would have switched to a four-three-three. Potentially use the likes of. Uh, Moose's pace on the break and then you know you're putting Mares a little bit further up the pitch so he's counter-attacking in a bit you know in an easier manner Soleimani's a very different proposition so having Jamie Vardy up front more of a target man than a, a pacey forward again it was a different option but potentially he's not quite working and I think that's the big thing for Leicester City this season they just need to again stumble on something that works and Ranieri's the man to do that in a way the tinker man used to love a tinker Maybe for Omarez in his attend, I don't know. Just they've got to do something else, especially in the Premier League. What in the last five games they've lost three, drawn two, um, and that's against West Brom, that's against Watford, Middlesbrough, and Sunderland as well as Tottenham. So you know, four of those games you'd expect Leicester City to come away with the points, but they I'm haven't. Wondering if he's just maybe tinkered in the wrong way, just slightly too much, uh, just ever so slightly. Yeah, I think Danny Drinkwater is just out. He's out injured at the moment. That you know, he's, he's a big loss. He's he is there. Their sort of beating their heartbeat in central midfield in terms of uh, distributing and, and playing the ball, but again the defenders aren't aren't performing at the same level. Schmeichel's out injured again. That's a big, that's a big loss. Big loss in yeah. a way. So big loss like, they won't get relegated, line. but they they could do well in the Champions League. Well, every cloud uh, on on the other side, of course, uh, all the clouds that were gathering over Sunderland, Dave. Blamo gone. That visit to the Nissan factory changed everything. Exactly. You know, we didn't think it would be a big impact, but that has pumped up Victor and Ichibi and Jermaine Defoe. Jermaine Defoe scoring goals for fun. Uh, it, it's coming. It's sort of feeling a little bit more like a David Moyes team in a way. Uh, high octane, a little bit more effort than we've seen from previous Sunderland teams. 
and again, doing doing what they need to do uh, and fighting their way out of relegation. So come on, David Moyes, let's play like Dick Advocat's boys. Well, just just Jermaine, just David David Moyes boys. <laughs> let's play like uh, Jermaine Defoe's boys. Am I right, Dave? I mean, Jermaine yeah. Defoe's been on fire. I think uh, someone that's um, going under the radar a little bit, Jordan Pickford. Yeah, good point. Uh, one of the best goalkeepers to watch in the league at the moment. Yeah, and and you know again, good for England, a young English keeper. But it half decent back four in front of him. But he's doing very very well. He's making the saves. He's he's doing everything right at the moment. So again, good stuff from Jordan. And uh, I think Sunderland will survive easy. I think it's I think David Moyes is one of those weird managers that he's like Pulis. He's like Allardyce. Once he gets into a side and once he can have a little bit of time with them, they, they find a way of winning. It might not be the best and the prettiest way of winning, but they find a way. Would you rather have David Moyes for three years, Dave? Yes. Or Louis van Gaal? Oh, that's a good question, that. Because we saw more of David Moyes. Sorry, we saw more of Louis van Gaal than David Moyes. I don't know. No, no. I'm going to go with Louis van Gaal. Just because it's better to better the devil you know, essentially, is what you're saying. <laughs> Yes, uh, I think Van Gaal did a lot of good stuff in terms of defensive senses. Pressing was was very good, uh, very underrated. Louis Van Gaal's um, structure and cohesion of a team in terms of a defensive shape. But going forward, Jesus, never seen those two in the same room though. Anyway, uh, it's been good to have you guys on the podcast today. That's what happens when you miss a team in the Premier League. Give them a good review in the end, and it was actually a pretty good game. I'm enjoying Jermaine Defoe at the moment. I'm enjoying his. Verve is joie de vivre. Who are you enjoying most in the league at the moment, Dave? Who was your player of the weekend? For me, I'm going to go outside the Premier League. I'm going to go Marco Royce, but I do. I did think Diego Costa was fantastic, and same with um, good old Sanchez. He was just inc- absolutely incredible. Now you set um, a player of the weekend vote, uh, and who do you think won, Dave? Um, I think you know Adam Boltwood's. Uh, spiteful comments uh, around that this poll because of uh, Sanchez is in the poll Sanchez will win so I expect Sanchez to, to take it because Arsenal fans are really good on social media but he does deserve it hat-trick fantastic performance he really was fantastic and he did deserve it he got 49% of the votes in a huge uh, in well, what can only be described as bigger than most uh, hair product adverts poll um, it, it he got yeah a lot of votes. Diego Costa second and Marco Royce third. Dave, do you ever think that people just vote based on how prominent the player is and not necessarily the result? Mm, yes, I'd say so. Yeah, that was more of a who is your favourite player poll, right? Yeah, imagine getting a hat trick of assists in a game. Incredible. Yeah, incredible stuff. Dave, would you like to see Marco Royce in the Premier League? And if so, who with? <laughs> Don't say Manchester United. Well, I've got to be greedy, right? <laughs> oh, I will tell you what. Maybe as an Eden Hazard replacement. If Hazard went anywhere, Conte, Marco Royce, counter-attack. You're saying that's the one? That'd be pretty cool. Obviously, there's another team that would suit Marco Royce, but we'll not talk about that anyway. You don't want to talk about Liverpool getting Marco Royce, do you, Dave? That would be heartbreaking. That'd be as bad as David Silva going to Manchester City. Yeah, that really was a hard day for you, wasn't it? That was a bad day in Dave's life. Oh, no, Stefan Jovetic was a bad day as well. Really? Yeah, I used to. Stefan Jovetic was one of my favourite players as well. Do you not feel a little bit though, Dave? Like um, David Silva's wasted at Man City. Nah, I think he, he's been a very, very good Premier League servant. I think since joining the Premier League, I think he's registered 
more assists than any other Premier League midfielder. I think he's created more chances. So I think he's he's not been wasted. He's just the different City systems. He's had to come in and adapt and, and fit into those systems. And he's still working on fitting into this Pep Guardiola system. Getting you know, another man. interesting thing in the Premier League. I don't know. I feel like he could do better. Just saying. Yeah. I feel like he could do better. I feel like he would have done more if he'd have been at Valencia. Oh, yeah. Or Barcelona. Imagine Silver at Barcelona. Actually, wouldn't have fit in the side, would he? Uh, But Real Madrid? Yeah. No, but maybe more. Bayern? Let's say Juventus. There we go. Let's throw one out there. Yeah, that's a good one. Ooh, Dave. (laughs) Great suggestion. Uh, Or Atletico. Not got the pace, not got the... uh, <laughs> intensity. Intensity there. Anyway, it's been good to have you guys. Let us know who your player of the weekend was on Twitter. Find us over there at the front three. You can also go review us on iTunes. If you don't already uh, appreciate us on iTunes, uh, then get over there and give us a review. I actually saw a review on the True Geordie podcast this week, which said the True Geordie podcast is the second best podcast. The best podcast on iTunes is the front three. Yes, um, come on. <laughs> so we're even getting advertising under the most popular podcasts online right now. Um, good work, Hole. Great work. Well done, Hole, on the poll. Uh, social media, you can find us on YouTube as well. You can also find us on Facebook, right, Dave? Yeah, yeah, you can find us on Facebook. And on Periscope. Periscope, yeah. You don't really need to follow us on Periscope because if you follow us on Twitter, you'll see us there. Don't forget to head over to that exclusive Bob Bradley interview where we defend Bob time after time against the evil press of England. And we'll see you again real soon on TF3.